If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Nursing is not for the faint of heart and you really have to care. You have to care about your people. You got to care about the community, care about, you know, wanting to advocate. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Trina. How are you? Hi, Wendy. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm doing very well. Good, good. I'm excited that you are here too. Welcome to the wellness platform. Um, I think you are the first nurse navigator we've had on the platform. So I'm really excited for you to tell people who you are and what you do. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, thank you for having me here. Um, My name is Trina Turner. Um, I've been a nurse for about 29 years, and I've worked in various healthcare settings. Um, I did ICU. I did ambulatory care. I did uh, interventional radiology as a nursing supervisor for about five years. And I've been in oncology as a nurse navigator for it'll be five years in September. And I think I found my niche. I love what I do. Navigation is totally different than any type of nursing I had ever done. Um, I did know a little bit about community outreach and education just throughout my whole course of nursing, but what I do is focus on community outreach, education, early detection, screening, the whole nine yards, helping patients get referrals and and resources in the community. So, you know, it's totally different than anything I've done. I love that. And, and if people who know me know that I'm an oncology nurse practitioner, so oncology is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. And um, when I jumped into oncology, it was my first clinical rotation um, in undergrad. I fell in love with it. Now, I wasn't aware of oncology cancer, but taking care of my very first cancer patient with metastatic pancreatic cancer, I still can see his face to this day. Um I fell in love with it. And now I'm doing cancer research. So I wanted to chat with you because, you know, I don't meet a lot of us, right? It's not a lot of nurses um, in oncology. Um, very few. It's not a profession that, you know, nurses are going to say, I want to be an oncology nurse, you know? Um, so I think it, it's very interesting. So for our uh, listeners and viewers, can a new nurse become a nurse navigator or would you recommend that uh, a nurse has some sort of clinical experience prior to exploring that position? It helps. It helps to have a foundation. It helps to have a little bit of clinical experience. Um, you know, full disclosure, I had no oncology experience before I started. 
but I had been a nurse for a long time and I had taken care of oncological patients in a hospital and ICU during, you know, uh, procedures. I actually got to know a lot about oncology and diagnostic imaging because, you know, we were kind of their first stop, uh, you know, getting the procedures, the biopsies, you know, to find out whether or not they had cancer. So that's kind of how I got to know the oncology staff and the oncology doctors and nurse practitioners and all when they were ordering, you know, working with them with, um, ordering lab tests that we had to have in order for them to safely get the procedure done. So that's how I got to know oncology. But um, it really does help to have a little bit of experience, definitely. And I know that a lot of the oncology centers in my area, they do have openings for navigators, but they really want you to have some type of oncology background to learn. Trust me, if I can learn it, anybody can learn it. Yeah, that clinical experience can get you so far in any, you know, career you go in. But I always tell, you know, nurses, it's foundational, not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily need to be med surge. Everyone preaches it needs to be med surge. I, I'm not a believer of that. I know some people believe that it has to be uh, med surge. So when do you see the patient? So just thinking about the patient journey, you know, when they are diagnosed uh, with cancer, they're starting a treatment plan. Where do you come in? So for me, I'm on the beginning of the cancer spectrum. So, you know, you can navigate, there are navigators that see patients from the onset with screening, education, prevention, all the way down to survivorship into life care. So for me, where I'm at, I am early detection, um, community outreach with education. Um, I help patients with screening for life, which is a, um, which is an organization that helps with um, under, underserved or uninsured patient, people get screenings. Um, I do resources. I, I do tobacco cessation. So I'm kind of like in the beginning. I'm trying to keep you healthy. And I'm trying to, if you do have cancer, let's detect it early so you can have a better outcome. So I'm on the beginning of the cancer spectrum. So you are more so doing the primary and secondary prevention measures. Right, exactly. I'm doing, you know, I'm talking about, you know, health and wellness, uh, tobacco cessation, eating healthy. And of course, we all know, you know, environment plays a part, genetics plays a part in cancer, um, cancer, um, you know, disease. But for me, you know, it's more important for me to talk to patients about, you know, healthy lifestyle and, um tobacco cessation and exercise and trying to eat right. And then, okay, let's talk about the screenings, making sure you're going to the doctor, getting your screenings annually, or, you know, if you're a smoker, let me get into, let me get you into the lung screening program. So we can, if you do have something, you know, let's pick it up early. I always tell them, you know, early, early detection is the best thing that we can do for patients, because if we can catch it early, you know, the treatment's less toxic, they have a better outcome, a better survival rate. So that's what I do. I'm kind of like in the beginning of it. I love that. And I think it's just so needed in all communities. And um, we don't talk about cancer enough. Uh, You know, the C word, as people call it. But I think what you're doing is um, exceptional, well needed for many communities to educate community members on prevention, screening measures. Um, What are some of the gaps you're seeing in your work? Like, in community members, like, you know, what, what are the gaps you're seeing in terms of um, cancer screening, cancer symptoms, cancer education? Um, for me, I want to say that our people, African-American and um, Latino people, are very 
hesitant about getting screenings done. That is a major gap I've seen. Where I live at is kind of a rural area. So we have a lot of undocumented workers that are here, you know, working at the farms and the fields. And they are very hesitant about going to a doctor. Number one, they don't have insurance. And if they do have insurance, it's something where it's not really good coverage. And then they're not documented. So then they worry about that. Um, and it's, it's hard to get them to go and get the screenings done. A lot of times for my community, African-American and Latino community, um, we don't talk about it. You know, growing up in my household, you knew that Aunt Susie or Uncle Sam passed away, but you didn't know from what. You just know they passed away. So trying to get our our community to talk about and really learn their history and talk about, you know, the importance of screening and prevention. I mean, my husband is one of them. He just would not go and get a colonoscopy. He didn't want to. He wasn't thinking about it. And I kind of pushed him to get it. And thank goodness I did. So, you know, it's just trying to talk to people and getting them to understand the importance of screening. That's one big gap is like information. Um, another big gap is insurance. You know, insurance costs so much. Even when you have a health care provide, you work for a company to provide you health, you know, health care and insurance. It's still the co-pays are so astronomical, especially now after COVID. It's crazy. So that's been a big gap, too. So screening and insurance coverage has been a big gap that I've, I've seen out in the community. Now, I know we all say that, you know, minorities don't get screened, don't go to the doctor because of this whole mistrust concept. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's getting a lot better. And if I'm honest, it has helped that when I go out in the community, they see someone that looks like them. Representation is so important, and I can't stress it enough. And I've noticed that when I'm at um, an outreach or a health fair, and they come up to my table, and I'll you know talk to them about screening prevention, like, oh, I'm not doing that, you know, I don't want to know. And when I start to talk to them, and they can kind of detect that I know what I'm talking about, they listen. And it's funny because I've had some patients that were like, oh, no, I don't, I'm not, because mine is more, my, I do primarily lung and colorectal screenings, you know, making sure patients are set up with GI doctors, with pulmonary doctors, if they don't have it, primary care. So I'll give them my card and they'll say, oh, no, I'm not really worried about that too much or whatever. And then they'll go home and then I'll get a phone call later and say, hey, you were the lady that I saw in the community. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, tell me a little bit more about, you know, risk factors for my age group and my demographic. And, you know, how hard is it for me to get a screening? Can I get a free screening? And so, you know, it opens the door that it helps that I, I see, they see themselves in me, you know. Yes, I love that. And I think it's a lot to be said that healthcare institutions, cancer centers need to be mindful of that, yeah. that having a minority person in the communities that we are serving is so important because the community members are going to be more receptive. They're going to listen a little better. Uh, They're going to follow up, right, with the phone call. Um, So, 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 so important. And I also think there's a lot to be said for us as Black nurses or minority nurses to do the work, right? Um, One thing I love about the organization I work for, they just uh, purchased the RV, so now we're going out into the communities that need it and offer free screenings, breast screenings, um, you know, education, uh, tobacco cessation. So I'm excited because now we're going to go instead of waiting for them to come to us to health fairs and all that. We're getting that RV out in the community and we're letting them know we're there, you know. So I'm, I'm excited about that leg. 
Definitely. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, one thing that I have been very firm on since COVID and becoming an entrepreneur is that we don't have to be tied to an institution, right, to do the work. We don't have to be tied to, uh, you know, the credentials behind our name. Oh, well, I'm not a nurse practitioner. I'm not a DMP or I'm not I'm not a BSN or whatever. We can do the work. It's our job to, to do the work, whether we are working for someone or not. And community nursing, in my mind, is so foundational. It is. Live in communities, right? <laughs> we all live in communities. <laughs> communities the foundation, absolutely. And you know, and it doesn't matter. You know, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in school right now, and I'll be done um, in October for my doctorate. But my thank you. My drive was because I want to create something for the people in my community. I want to create, help create like a health and wellness clinic or coaching or something. So, because I see the need, you know, and, but you don't have to be a doctor for care nurse. You don't even have to have a bachelor's degree. You could just be a nurse, a nursing assistant, a health wellness person in the community. As long as you are out there and you're giving them valid information and they see you and know that you care about them, that they understand and they're more receptive to it, you know? Yeah. Imagine how the world would be if every minority nurse, right? This may be a challenge for us across the nation. Right. Every minority nurse made a pledge to do a community program once a month in their community. Oh my God, that would be amazing. How would the how would the world change if we did that? Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And just start a little initiative or challenge across the nation. I'm I'm, a little challenge. I'm ready to do this. Seriously, (laughs) I'm all about trying to like reach people and making sure that our community is healthy. And you're right. If every minority nurse did one health fair a month, you know, one health fair in each state. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. amazing. In my state, I do have to say our different counties do partner together and we we do we work together and we'll like, you know, refer patients back and forth. And there's actually a national lung screening day, which is going to happen November 11th. And all our major health systems are working together. So that way the patients know that we are working together for them. And, you know, we're trying to let them know, you know, hey, come and get a, a lung screening. It takes five minutes. You know, you can go to any hospital, any, you know, walk in, whatever that has a diagnostic imaging department for free and get it. So that's what we're working on right now. And I'm really excited because I was kind of like at the in the beginning at the table with them talking about this, that this needs to be done. And uh, I'm excited that it's actually coming to fruition. So I love it. I love it. So so collaboration partnerships are so important. Uh, just widen the reach and reach more people. So I, I love that whole idea. And you also said something earlier that I also want to unpack a little bit is um, knowing your history. Oh my goodness, Talk yes. to us a little bit about that. Why is that so important for everyone, whether you're a nurse, a healthcare professional or not? Talk to us. Why, why is that so important? Absolutely. Um, because if you don't know your history and you're not you're not getting screenings and going to the doctor and stuff. You can have underlying conditions that you don't know about. My husband, for instance, has, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure and all, and his mother had it and his father had it. He was, you know, well informed about what was going on in his family. So he was proactive about it and went to the doctor and got checked. But there are so many patients that I, and community members that I talk to that they don't know their history. 
So, you know, a lot of the cancers are, you know, have a genetic predisposition for them. You know, they're finding out, as a matter of fact, for lung cancer, which, you know, everyone, as soon as you say lung cancer, they think it's smoking and it's not smoking. I have patients that have never touched a cigarette, that have never been around anyone, you know, to be exposed to secondhand smoke. It could be environmental. They're finding out that genetics play a big part in it. So it's so important to know your family history and to know, you know, what your grandmother had, what your grandfather had on both sides of your family, you know, and, and that's one gap that I can say I found in the community is getting better. People are beginning to open up and talk more. But like I said earlier, you know, you really didn't talk about that in our community. You know, you knew that Aunt Sue had something, but you didn't know what it was. So it's so important to know your history. So important. Yeah, asking the questions about breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, melanoma, myeloma, like all, all of these things, like we, we definitely need to know and not wait until someone's diagnosed. Like, let's be proactive about it, um, especially breast cancer and colon cancer, you know? Um, and I had a patient the other day who, you know, African-American, she told me, well, I don't worry about sunscreen and stuff like that because I can't get cancer because my skin's dark. And I'm like, sweetie. That's not true. Not true at all. I said, I have an aunt who had melanoma. I said, so trust me. And she was shocked. I said, and she never stayed one day in the sun. Trust me. It, yes. it, it, so. yeah, yeah, it's it's just so important for us to, you know, make sure that we are getting our wellness checks, you know, our mammograms or ultrasounds uh, and your pap smear, right? Like these Absolutely. are things that we kind of let lag even as healthcare professionals. So this is a reminder for everyone, uh, including myself, right? I'm not excluding myself, but these are things we need to really stay on top of. Uh, for the recommendations for colon cancer screening to 45 now, because there's so many younger people that are having stage two, stage three, stage four colon cancer, and they were not the age to get screened. And then you're finding out that down the line, they had a family history or they had symptoms, and but they couldn't get the screening done because they didn't meet the age requirement. So I'm glad that, you know, the American Cancer Society is pushing for a more proactive stance on screenings earlier. Yes, I did an article on that um, in the Color of Wellness magazine on colon cancer screening and that the age uh, was reduced. So I'm happy they did that because now insurance will pay for it because that's another barrier, right? Like you were saying, who's paying for it? <laughs> right there, a lot of patients are like, hey, I want to get screened, but either I don't have insurance or my insurance is not really up to par and my out-of-pocket deductible is going to be extremely high. So, you know, you want me to do this, what can you do to help me? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit to clinical trials, talking about, you know, being in the community, being a community navigator, um, focusing on primary and secondary prevention. Um, do you talk to community members about um, oncology clinical trials? Mm -hmm. Our, uh, where I work at has a oncology clinical trial department, and we have different clinical trials that we're running. Um, right now for lung cancer, for colon cancer, prostate cancer. But yeah, I talk about it all the time. We have flyers, informational. We actually have um, clinical trial um, nurses that that's what they do. They work with one of the major big institutes in Philadelphia. And we work with our patients when they come in. Of course, they're going to get, you know, genetic testing, clinical trials. But we do have clinical trials. And I just talk to them and I tell them, you know, I know the history. I know the history and why. Our people are so hesitant, but, you know, unfortunately, we're a low number in the clinical trials that are happening now. And for us to really get the 
the equitable care that we need, we got to participate in clinical trials. We, you know, we have to be seen in these clinical trials. You know, I, I noticed that for breast, uh, I see that more African-American and Latino people are joining the clinical trials, but it's so hard for some of the other trials because we're not represented well because of the fear and the stigma and, and I understand where it comes from, but you know, I just, I try to explain to them that, you know, if we're represented in these clinical trials, you know, the, I guess, more research will be done that can treat our family, you know, that will be tailored for us. And it won't, I mean, not that all the clinical trials won't help, but it's, it helps to have representation in the clinical trials for us. That way we can have an active stance in trying to find out, you know, if this is, um, going to be something that will work for us if it's not going to work for us. You know, it's it can it's difficult. Um, it, I, I get a lot of pushback about that, but we still talk about it. We still give them the information. And we are, especially for breasts, I'm getting a lot more patients that are willing to sign up for it. Yeah. What are patients saying out there in the community? Are they just saying like they don't want to be a guinea pig or what is they're talking about Tuskegee and, you know, Henrietta Lacks and all those different things that have happened in the past. And that makes them very shy about getting into clinical trials. They don't want to be a guinea pig. And like, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, informed consent has come a long way and you can't do anything without informed consent. So trust me, if you hear something that you don't like, you don't have to participate. Even if you sign up, you can say, okay, I'm done. I don't have to, but at least find out about it. At least take this, you know, the, the step to educate yourself about it. You know, you're not going to be a guinea pig. I said, there are, we, you have people that are in place to make sure that that would never happen to you. Yeah. And, and clinical trials are so important now because now clinical trials are being run for uh, treatment naive patients, you know, patients who are just diagnosed can enter a clinical trial uh, or if they're metastatic, if the cancer has spread or, you know, what have you. So it's so, so, so important. So what would you tell uh, cancer centers across the nation? What could they do to help with this issue with minorities not being in clinical trials? What is something they can do to help with that recruitment? Well, they are, at least the Cancer Institute that I work for, they try to make sure that they are getting in the community to explain and educate about clinical trials, uh, representation. Again, I keep coming back to it, but it's so important. Um, our clinical trial nurses look like me and we go out in the community and talk to patients and they actually listen to what we're telling them. And so if I could just tell, you know, the cancer institutes, one thing is just making sure that you're going in the areas that need to be like that you need to be in and you need to make sure that representation is important. I mean, it's just, I can't even stress how important it is. Patients tend to listen to us and talk and if they see someone that looks like them. So it's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think from our end, we need to make sure that we are supporting black nurses entering the profession of oncology nursing. Absolutely. I can, when I started in my center, I was one of maybe three black nurses. And now we, you know, we have about seven or eight. And I think it's, I don't know if it's the fact that they're nervous about oncology, that they don't think that they'll be able to, you know, work up to standard. Or I remember when I went into ICU, there were not many African-American nurses that were in, in ICU. And you know, we now when I left ICU, almost the whole staff was was African American. 
So it's just basically the feel like kind of like intimidation and fear, but you just got to get out there and do it. It is a very draining um, specialty, especially when you get to know the patients and the families and you're going along the journey with the patient. It's, it could be heart wrenching at time, but it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I'm I'm just glad I did it. You know, I see I got to see patients when they were getting their procedure done in diagnostic imaging, and then I moved over into oncology, and then I was actually able to see them in the office and follow them. And they were like, "Okay, you were my procedure nurse. I remember you." So now you're the one that's making sure I get to the specialist. That I get to the that I get my labs done. That I get my screenings done. So it's it's so rewarding. You know, it can be a little intimidating, but I definitely think that more of us need to be in this field. Definitely. Absolutely. I remember being a nurse practitioner in a community practice in the city of Hartford. And I still remember my patients, but they were so happy to see me. Oh my gosh. So happy to see me. And they wanted to see me, not the doctor. Now I was the only nurse practitioner, black nurse practitioner. Uh-huh. Um, in the practice with uh, three men, we had two Caucasian men and we had a Indian doctor, but those patients were just so excited to see me. And they all they asked questions, they opened up, but they really became my family. And what you're saying is so true is um, it can be heavy at times. And I'll tell you this experience I had when I decided to leave that practice to um, enter into the pharmaceutical industry. I remember carrying my box outside of, you know, the office and I was outside and it felt like this weight was lifted off of me. This weight, I didn't even know I had the weight, but I think it's because we naturally just take on so much because we're seeing those patients from time of diagnosis to treatment to hospice to death even, you know, um, through their whole journey. So um, it definitely can be uh, tough. It can be tough, but very, very, and I also work in hospice, but it is very rewarding. I almost feel, I don't almost, but I always say it's an honor to be in someone's life at Mm -hmm. that time to help them through that journey. So I had a patient that said to me, there was a reason why I met you. There was a reason why you were in my life and that stayed with me. That was like one of my first oncology patients and it stayed with me. So yeah, the reason why we do what we do. Nursing is not for the faint at heart and you really have to care. You have to care about your people. You got to care about the community, care about, you know, wanting to advocate. I always tell, um, I teach adjunct for nursing students that are getting ready to graduate and to go into the field. And I always tell them, you know, if you want it, nursing is not for the faint of heart, guys. And, you know, for ones that are graduating high school, I tell them, you know, go shadow with someone and see what their day to day is. And, you know, you have to care. You have to care. It's a calling. You know, we do it every day, all day. And, especially if COVID didn't teach us anything, how resilient healthcare workers can be, you know, in in the face of all kinds of things, not just COVID, but, you know, everyday life, trauma, um, ecology, hospice, just OR. I mean, so many different things that are life and death for some patients and you're doing it day in and day out. So I love telling my nursing students, you know, this is, just make sure this is what you want to do. But when you get in and give it your all, you know, Yeah, people are depending on you. The patients are waiting on you. And take care of yourself, too. Don't just lose yourself, you know? Absolutely. Wellness with Wendy. Yes. (laughs) I love this. Yes. Definitely, definitely. And I want to talk about one more topic before we get to our rapid fire. Um, 
So I know we're talking about it will be nice for healthcare institutions, cancer centers to have representation, an African-American or minority nurse in the practice or in the community. If they don't, if they're not able to, to honor that, right. what can we do in terms of implicit bias for mm. our counterparts who are not minorities, who are taking care of these patients? What advice would you have for them? Well, you know, for a lot of people that are our counterparts, um, I just tried to explain to them some of the mindset that our community may have, the resistance that you may be feeling, or the, or the you know, uh, I hate this word, but non-compliance, they say, mm-hmm. you know, that won't follow up. A lot of it's fear and misunderstanding, and it's just trying, trying for them to understand their perspective and you know, get them to understand, you know, where their hesitancy come from and just keep talking to them and just trying to, you know, let them know that, you know, a lot of times it's not because they are, you know, non-compliant or hesitant. Sometimes they're just not educated about the importance about certain things. So when you take the time and talk to them and explain it to them, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, okay, you know, yeah, I understand now, you know, no one ever explained it to me. You know, sometimes a patient, I'll have a patient that will see a, a doctor and then the doctor will leave and you'll come back in and you'll have to explain to them in their level of understanding what the doctor just said. So I just think, you know, for anyone that is, you know, our allies, I just want them to be able to understand our, our people and understand some of the hesitancy, learn about you know, the cult, the different cultures, you have to be culturally um, aware of different things that happen in the culture. You know, I'm Afro-Latina, so I have an African-American side and Latina side. And I understand that a lot of it is, you know, similar, you know, about how we view healthcare, how we view, you know, our elderly, you know, what we are kind of, you know, not, you know, willing to do and, or like a, a little bit aware, aware of, you know, so it's just, just being aware and and having an understanding and talking to people, just, you know, so that way you can understand their side. It's not always non-compliance. It's not always because they don't want to. It's because maybe they don't understand the whole ramifications of everything. Explain it to them where they can understand it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I do what I do because stress management leveraging emotional intelligence is really taking a step back and understanding who are you? Do you have biases? We all do, but what are they? Can you manage them appropriately? And are you able to show empathy? Are you able to see things from someone else's perspective? Are you able to slow down and unpack that you're Afro-Latina and not just assuming you're African-American, uneducated, and don't know and you're just non-compliant? You know what I mean? So, uh, so many layers there, but we need to do a better job across healthcare, not just in oncology. So, Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's get into our rapid fire before we wrap up this episode. I'm so excited uh, that we had this discussion. It's out there in the public domain for everyone just to listen to. And I just hope they take something from it that they can apply to their life. And I always say, if you can't apply it to your life, tell someone else because it can really help them. Absolutely. I I, I hope I was able to help one person. Yes. Yes. And if you had one message for the people listening, what would that be, Trina? Um, Screenings are so important. Early detection is so important. Um, You know, I know a lot of patients get a little worried about finding out if there is a problem. 
But if I could just leave the audience with anything is that, you know, you got to be proactive about your health. And even though it may be scary, there are people there to help you all along the way. And the earlier that something is picked up and detected, the earlier we can get it treated and the better the rate survival rates will be, you know, and it, it could be something where you won't have to go through the toxicity of chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, yada, yada, if we can just catch it early. So early detection and screening is very important. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we're going to get into the rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Well, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind to answer the question or finish the statement. Okay. Wellness means? Holistic care. I know I'm stressed when? I'm biting my nails. <laughs> well, my go-to stress management solution is? <laughs> uh, getting, um, let's see, a manicure and getting a massage and, and meditation. Meditation has been really helpful for me the last few months in school. I've really learned how to center myself. So meditation. I love that. And what is something people get wrong about you, Trina? You know, people get wrong that I am. I, I don't talk much. I'm very quiet. And so they think that I'm very mean, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so nice. I didn't know you were. You were such a nice person. And I'm like. Yeah, I, I don't talk a lot, but once you get to know me, you can't shut me up, you know? <laughs> I'm a little introverted when it comes to meeting new people and all. So I actually had one person that said to me, oh, I thought you were so mean. I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And my last question for you is, what is something you learned about yourself during the pandemic? Um, during the pandemic, I learned why nursing was my calling. Mm. Uh, seeing patients working in oncology and seeing patients in the early stages when we didn't know what was going to happen and we didn't know what was going on and they were scared and they wanted their treatments and the center was closed and we were trying to figure out how to best care for these patients um, and the advocacy that we had to do to make sure our patients were safe and the you know the different things that we had to do to make sure that we were safe and they were safe it just brought home to me the importance of what I do and what we do as, you know, a healthcare system. The pandemic really opened my eyes to stuff. You know, a lot of people left the, the, the field because of the pandemic. But for me, it just made me realize how important we are for the people that we care for. Oh, that really resonates with me because I went back to the front lines during the pandemic because I felt like I always tell people I was wrestling with my purpose okay. from home. And I felt guilty uh, because I needed to be out there. So I actually went back to take care of cancer patients during the oh, pandemic. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Trina, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. And uh, I know we'll have you back soon. Oh, please do. I enjoyed myself. And thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk to the community. I really appreciate this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.
If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.